0: So, as Keith said earlier, we're blessed this morning to be joined by a guest speaker. Uh, We are going to be starting a new sermon series in the book of Ephesians, uh, not next week, but the week after that. So, if you want to start reviewing that book, I encourage you to do that. Um, But this week, we have Kyler Barr, who uh, is an old friend of Sarah's, actually. Um, he's from Walnut Hill Community Church in Bethel, Connecticut. He was the um, pastor of youth and young adult ministries there for six years. And uh, he is now a ministry coach and he does uh, regional New England ministry uh, for, for youth, uh, helping to equip leaders and many other things. He actually wears quite a few hats, but let's welcome him up. No, I, I was like, that's, that's not the starting point. And then it was magically. That's, this magic happens with, these tech, with tech teams all the time. Look at that. You didn't even see Ryan come up and grab that. That's good. So, <laughs> Well, hello, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. I've been in this building a couple years ago uh, when it was empty just to tour and see things. It's, it's a lot better with all of your faces here. Uh, it was fine then, but it's a lot better with all of your faces here, and so it's good to see you. Uh, as Ryan said, I'm Kyler Barr, uh, and I am want to say before any of the rest of this to you, happy Mother's Day. It's good to see you. It's good to celebrate mothers together on a day like today. I, my wife is with our four boys now. Hopefully they're celebrating her as instructed, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, We've got four boys, uh, 16, 14, 12, and 9, and we live down in Newtown, so not too far from here. And it's just good to get to ride up here and be with you all together today. Uh, And I want to just spend a, a little bit of time Uh, talking to you. We're going to talk about actually a worship leader in a little while. We're going to talk about Asaph, who was the worship leader of Israel. We'll mention him in a bit. We'll be in this book of Habakkuk together, and we'll be spending a little bit of time there. Uh, But I want to start in Psalm 100. Uh, Psalm 100 is, um, as I've been stepping into this role doing some regional ministry, Psalm 100 is something that just kept coming up. As I'm driving around, talking to people, talking about ministry, as I'm, whether I'm in the mountains or, or in the, on a beach or wherever I am, God would bring Psalm 100 to mind. And so it's become kind of a, a part of, that kind of focuses uh, some of what we're doing as we talk about what God's doing in youth and young adults and in churches across the region. Uh, and so I want to read it together with you all. Uh, it's just this great declaration of what it means to praise and follow God together. It's this great moment where we can say, "Okay, God, this is what we want to be about." Um, and I think often we use it as a call to worship for in a church service like this, or we'll use it as as this kind of remind reminder that there will be a day that we enter God's presence in, in heaven and we can enter his presence then in rejoicing. But I, I want us to broaden this and recognize that all of the earth is the Lord's. I want us to broaden this and recognize that we're in a spot where uh, where God is at work in the towns and in the, and in the valleys and in the beaches and in the mountains of this region. Uh, and as we go into our towns and cities, just to remember that that we are entering God's presence, his, that we are entering the place that is his. And so let's read Psalm 100 together. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Now look, this is... This is the type of thing that I want to declare, that I want to be about, that I, that I want to do as I go about life, as I look at ministry in New England, as I look at, at ministry within my own family and my own neighborhood, and yet it's really easy to not feel that way, right? It's really easy to get overwhelmed and discouraged and be in a spot where, where it's just too much. And I would guess that each of you have been in a spot where, where it's just too much and you're overwhelmed, and you're not sure that entering God's presence with thanksgiving is is what you're going to do in that moment, right? Uh, In fact, even when it's not about being completely overwhelmed in a way that we're despairing, sometimes we just have so many things going on in life and different things that we want to be a part of or different distractions that we let become a part of our life, and we forget that we're entering God's presence. Right? That we're entering his, his sanctuary, that we're going into the place where he is. And that we should do so with joy and thanksgiving and remembering that he is God and remembering his faithfulness to us. Um, as I was thinking about this on Mother's Day this morning, I was recognizing that everyone in this room is the reason that your mother felt this way sometimes. Sometimes your mother felt overwhelmed and unable to really kind of walk through all that was going on in life because of you. Just think about that a moment, and maybe call your mother later, okay? Uh, because there are times when when we have these moments where everything is going wrong. Right? It seems like we're we're trying to do the right things, and we're trying to walk through life the way that we should. We're trying to remember like what this is all about, and yet everything's going wrong. We feel like we've taken the right steps, and, and things aren't adding up. I remember a time when this was true for me not too long ago. Uh, there have been many since, too. But as I think about it, a couple years ago, I was walking through some relational difficulty with just some people in ministry. Uh, and it was a couple of families that um, just were having a, a difficult time with each other. And as I walked through this this relational challenge, we we walked through all these different steps. And I'm not saying that, that I did it perfectly. Uh, of course not. But we had a group of people that were trying to help these families. And they, uh, we, we were coming to places where we thought resolution was happening. And then we'd walk out of the room and everything would go wrong again. And it just felt like, felt like things weren't quite going the way that they were supposed to. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit in those days, um, I found out that I loved Hallmark movies. Uh, Yeah, I know. I know. I I get it. Maybe I should say Hallmark movie. There's only one of them. They just keep redoing it, right? Uh, But that's part of what I loved about them in those moments. I could go home from, from unpredictable moments relationally where things weren't going the way that they were supposed to go, and I could sit on the couch and I could watch something predictable. I could watch something where, hey, by the end, there's going to be a conflict, but then there will be a reminder of what it's all about, and they'll be fine, and then it'll be over, right? And I won't have to deal with the fact that it doesn't stay fine all the time. And I think we we often want to live lives in these places where it's predictable, and we know what's going to happen, and, and it just went well. And yet, that's not what my life looks like. And I know it's not what your lives look like. And so today as we start to look at Habakkuk, uh, we're looking at this, uh, this time in Israel's history where not everything was going right. There, it was a little before the fall of the southern kingdom. As you're looking at Habakkuk, it's toward the end of the Old Testament. It's right between Nahum and Zephaniah and it's, it's one of the, the minor prophets. Uh, minor because there's less written, not because he was less important. Uh, but as we, as we walk through this, we see someone who's in a spot where there's some, some real mess around him. And we get to see a little bit of his response here. And we're going to start toward the end to see kind of the, the type of person that, that I want to be in some of those moments. And I, So as we go to three, Habakkuk 3:17 3, through 19... Uh, I just want to look through this and, and kind of see if you've identified with where Habakkuk is a little bit. In verse 17, it says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails, and the fields are empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. All right, hold on, pause. I said I wanted you to see if you relate. Maybe some of you have fig trees and vines and cattle and I don't, right? Uh, But these are the things that he was relying on. These are the things that the people of Israel would rely on. This is is central to their, their kind of continued prosperity. And I've been in some spots where the things that I rely on for my prosperity don't seem to be going well. And so even as all these things are going wrong, here's what it says in verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. I love that, that piece there, verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I want to be a person who says, yet I will rejoice. In whatever circumstance I come to, in whatever moment I have, I want to be the person who says, yet I will rejoice. And look, we know what it's like to have big, broad challenges to that. We have certainly faced times where it's hard to rejoice together, right? And yet, the harder times are all the little things that happen. Or even the big things that happen that seem to only affect us while everyone else is doing okay. And I want to be somebody who in the middle of those moments when all the things that I, want, that I usually tend to rely on fail, who says, yet I will rejoice. See, even if everything goes wrong, and the things I rely on fail, I will trust in God. That's the type of declaration that Habakkuk is making here that I want to be able to make. And so as we look at it, I have to ask this question. How do we get there? If this is the goal, if this is who I want to be, if this is how I want my life to look, if I want people to say, man, Kyler was somebody who, no matter what happened, he would rely on God. He would rejoice anyway. That's not naturally what happens, right? Naturally, I rely on myself. I know none of you do that. But naturally, I rely on myself. And naturally... When things don't go the way that I think they should, I I then don't blame the self I was relying on. I get frustrated at all the other things that I couldn't have controlled. And yet there's a different kind of response I can have. I can have a a response that rejoices in the midst of this. So how do we get there? I think for this, if we look at the whole book of Habakkuk, it's just three chapters. It'll help us to kind of understand where this comes from. So we're going to go back and, and see that this starts with Habakkuk bringing his concerns to God. This starts with Habakkuk bringing his concerns to God and recognizing that God is big enough for these. We're going to read Habakkuk chapter 1, 2 through 4 here together. This is what it says. It says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? I see destruction. Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. He's hurting. He's in a spot here where he looks around, and and things don't look good. I can identify. I've had moments where I look around and I'm like, God, this doesn't look like I would set things up. This moment isn't what I would plan. This system isn't what I would plan. There's brokenness all around us. Brokenness is everywhere and and it can be too much sometimes. And I love that he was willing to bring this to God. See, this is a, a practice I think we have to get better at. As a church as a whole, not just St. Paul, but as a church as a whole, we need to get better at this practice of lament. Lament is is a powerful tool. I mean, when we think about the Psalms, a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament where, where people are bringing their struggles, their doubts, their fears, their questions, their anger even to God. And they're dealing with that as they come to him. And so this is a psalm of lament, kind of like we see lots of other psalms of lament, actually, in the book of Psalms. One that's meant a lot to my life over and over again is Psalm 73. And it clearly gives this, this process of lament that we see. Uh, see, this is about that worship leader I was mentioning, Asaph. Uh, and Asaph is, is struggling. He, at the beginning of the psalm, he, he looks and he says, look, surely God's good to Israel. Surely he can be trusted. And then he admits, but as for me, I I had almost slipped. For him, the problem was that he was looking around and he was looking at the world around him. And the people who weren't trying to live for God seemed to be doing really well. Everything was going their way. There weren't problems coming at them. And from his perspective, as he was trying to live for God, he he was not doing well. He, he wasn't enough. He was overwhelmed. Things weren't going the way they were supposed to. And so as he walks through this process, he's almost slipped. I love this, this picture. It's, it, it's like he's almost slipping, is, is kind of starting to fall down the hill, right? Like he's catching himself in the midst of this fall. Uh, I, I hiked Mount Monadnock yesterday. Uh, there are some beautiful mountains in this region to hike. I can warn you, though, at the top of them, you'll have moments where you almost slip, right? And as we go up there, there's a, I think sometimes when I think I almost slipped and I read something like that in this, I think, oh, I just slipped a little as I was walking around my house or around town. This is a more drastic picture than that, right? This is, I almost slipped and fell and it was catastrophic, Right? He talks about the damage it would have done to, to Israel and the people he leads if he, had, if he had even thought that way. And yet, by the end of this passage in Psalm 73, he gets to a spot where he's able to say, but as for me, God's presence is my good. It is good to be near God. Like, actually being with him is the reward. It is the good thing that I need. And so he, in that passage, gets there by doing exactly what we see Habakkuk do. Habakkuk brings his concerns to God. In, in verse 16 and 17, here in Psalm 73, we see this cool, uh, cool verse that can just apply to so many different things. I can say a verse is cool, right? We see this cool verse uh, that that helps us kind of understand a whole lot of things in life and how we should walk through them. It says, when I tried to understand all this... It troubled me deeply till I enter, entered the sanctuary of God. And then for him, it says, then I understood their final destiny. Because he, the, the understanding their final destiny was he got a perspective on his problem that wasn't rooted in who he was. It was rooted in something bigger. It was rooted in the bigger picture. It was rooted in who God was. The, the version of this I memorized says, said that all this was oppressive to me. Until I entered God's sanctuary. See, when when Habakkuk enters into this lament, what we're seeing here in Habakkuk is the process of Habakkuk going into God's sanctuary. What happened while he was there. And it's a little different than we see in the other Old Testament prophets because we actually see discourse, interaction between Habakkuk and God God here. God actually answers him. So I want to read that answer for you here in Habakkuk 1, uh, just the next verses. We're going to be in 5 and 6 here. This is what it says. The Lord replied. That's so great. I love that he replies to our our struggles and doubts and hurts. The Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. Okay, so far this sounds good. Like, all right, God, you're doing something big. I'm on board. I'm ready for this. I am raising up the Babylonians. A cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer all other lands. All right, here's where this is not the answer I would have expected. <laughs> right? Like, God, as God sets this up, he's saying, he's saying, look, I'm doing something amazing. People are going to talk about this. Get ready, Habakkuk. You know those Babylonians? <laughs> they were not the nicest people. We don't have to go into a history of the Babylonians, but this is, this is not like, here come the people you hope to be rescued by. Right? I'm raising up the ba- Babylonians. They're going to conquer the lands. Can I tell you, my response right then would be, you're going to do what? Right? Like the, the new Top Gun movie is coming out. I was a fan of the original as a kid. And, and I, I remember the scene where, there where Maverick, Tom Cruise's character, is flying the plane. And, and he says, I'm going to hit the brakes and they'll fly right by. And his co-pilot says, you're going to do what? Like, you don't hit the brakes when somebody's flying at you. Like, that can lead to destruction. And I I see that kind of moment here. Like, God, I don't think you understand what I was asking. And we see that kind of response uh, as we continue on into verse 12 of that same chapter. Habakkuk starts to to reply to God. He says, oh, Lord, my God, my holy one, you who are eternal, surely you don't plan to wipe us out. All right. (laughs) Many of you have had these moments. You go to God with something and you start to see God's answer and if you're honest you have to admit that wasn't what I had in mind God right like God I see you doing something but that's not what I had in mind I had a different picture of this in fact maybe you want to take notes God my picture was a little better alright this is going to end up end up looking better for me, let's talk about this again, we're going to have a different look at how this can be, and Habakkuk brings a second complaint to God here, and he says, God, look, surely, uh, surely you don't mean to use the Babylonians, right, like, this is not how this is going to happen, they're, I was complaining about our people and the struggles they're having, and so you're going to send people who are worse and are struggling more, weight up, that's not what I'm looking for. And and we're your chosen people, God. You're not going to destroy us in these moments. And he kind of goes through this and continues to have this, that's not what I meant, God, moment. And I, I love that Habakkuk was willing not only to bring his complaint to God the first time, but as he got the answer, he was willing to go to God and say, like, God, I don't understand. Help me out here. And so God is willing to respond to him a second time. We see this in Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3. This is what God says back to him. He says, then the Lord said to me, write my answers plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to the others. Like, pay attention, other people need to know about this, right? Uh, This vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And then in the rest of chapter 2, he goes on to describe this this idea where look the babylonians are going to be judged too this is all part of a bigger process god is is using the brokenness in our world to be redeemed and restored and to bring about his kingdom and he's ultimately at work for his good even in things that we're like god how could you use that like you don't understand that doesn't line up with my thinking god and it's definitely a broken piece of our world, yet God uses the broken things of our world, thank goodness, because I'm one of them. God uses the broken things of our world as part of his plan to redeem the world and bring us into his kingdom. And so as we walk through this, we, we start to see where Habakkuk was reminded of God's power and God's faithfulness. See, Habakkuk was looking at the problems, Habakkuk was looking at the people, Habakkuk was looking at the issues, and God says, no, 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 wait. Turn around, look at me. See, just because what God does doesn't line up with what I thought God would do or should do doesn't mean that God's not good. We see this over and over again in Philippians chapter 4. We have this verse about what to do when we have our our struggles that we face, uh, when we have different Requests that we want to bring to God. We're told to bring them before him with thanksgiving in verse 6. And then it's another spot where I would think that God would say, and I'll take care of them. I'll make them all go away. But that's not what he says. What, what Philippians says is that, that God will bring us a peace that is beyond understanding. I believe that that comes when we come to God, when we enter his sanctuary, and he reminds us, as he did to Habakkuk here, who he is and who we are. And that he has control. And so as we walk through this process, I think there's this powerful thing God does. He shifts our perspective. He reminds us who he is and helps us to see what really matters. I love in that that he doesn't answer all our questions. I think of uh, briefly the story of Elijah, where there's this moment where Elijah, remember the still small voice story, Elijah's on this mountain. He's, he's just been through a, a, a hard process of standing for God in the midst of a world that was completely set against him. Uh, and has seen some victories in that, but now he's run and he's ended up on this mountain saying, God, what's going on? And eventually we land at this spot where Elijah goes out and there's, and he thinks that God's going to be in the wind and he's not in the wind and he thinks that he's going to be in the storm and he's not in the storm. And, and all of a sudden there's this still small voice and it's God. Well, before we get there, we see the questions that Elijah's asking of God. And there's a spot where he says, where God says, what's wrong, Elijah? And Elijah talks about how, you know, everyone's against him, that he's been standing for God and now he's the only one of God's prophets left. Well, here's the problem. That's just not true. That's not true. Eventually, God sends him to other people. There's a remnant that God has kept of his people and of his prophets. But even before that, if you look just at a couple chapters before, Elijah had been with a group of 100 prophets of God that had been saved from the very destruction he's talking about. He comes with a complete untruth. And if I were God in that moment, which is a dangerous game to play, I would have wanted to say, Elijah, come on. You're saying you're the only one. You're not. Remember those hundred people? There are other people here. Why are you coming to me with these, these things that aren't even true? But that's not what God does. God walks him through that and, and reminds him who he is and speaks to him in that still small voice and then sends him out to the place where he will encounter other people who are for God, who are following after God. And so I I love that this process happens for For each of us as we come to God, that he doesn't necessarily answer our questions, but he gives us a reminder of who he is and who we're created to be. And then he puts us to the places where our questions will be answered without us even realizing them, because they weren't the main point anyway. The main point was shifting our perspective so we could remember who God is. Uh, Habakkuk responds in in chapter 3. I'm going to read just verse 2 for you here. Uh, It says, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. And he continues in the rest of chapter 3. Read it this afternoon. Read it sometime this week. He continues to lay out the goodness of God and the power of God and who he is and how important it is for, for the people of Israel to remember him and to follow after him. And so we've got this moment where where Habakkuk recognizes who God is and how God is at work. And it's then that we come back to chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. And so he then mentions these things where he's struggling. He says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes in the vines, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That's where we hit this. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. When you look at this whole process, this yet I will rejoice takes on some more weight, doesn't it? Because in the midst of my doubt, in the midst of my worry, in the midst of all the things going wrong, God shifts my perspective so that even I can be someone who says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as the deer, able to tread upon the heights. There are still heights to tread upon, but He makes me able to tread upon the heights. Now, there are a couple of things that I want to remind us of uh, before we head out today. I think, I think a lot of times we hear information, but we've got information coming at us all the time, right? And so we'll we'll read a passage or hear a talk about a passage and. Uh, maybe maybe there's some things that stand out in that even, but it's just more information that comes at us. But I think it's important that we pause and, and kind of allow ourselves to, to rest in that a little bit and process things that are going on. And I've talked about how this is true in struggle. That's the example that we see here, that in hard times, we, we need to be reminded of who God is. And we need to become people who say, yet I will rejoice. But I also want to remind us that that's true in good times, too. In fact, sometimes for me, those are the harder times to be a person who says, yet I will rejoice because things are fine. So I don't have to slow down and rejoice. We see in Philippians uh, 4, 11 through 13, this picture of what we often use as just, hey, when things are going wrong, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But if we look just before it, it's not just in things that are going wrong. It's in, in time of plenty and in time of want, right? When things are going well and when things are going poorly. We want to be people who are able in those moments to look and say, hmm, I will rejoice. And so our world needs people who will rejoice and struggle. It's powerful when things are going wrong and we say, yet I will rejoice. I'll remember who God is, but our world also needs people who when things start to go right again and distractions come again and plenty comes again and we're in comfort again, we're still people who are going to say, wait a second, God, fix my perspective here. Help me not focus on my comfort. Help me not focus on the things that are going well. Help me focus on you and what you're doing in this moment and be someone who will say, yet I will rejoice. And so whether you're in a good moment now, or you're in a moment where you just don't even know which way is up, my encouragement to you today is to kind of think through some questions. Uh, The first question is, how can you enter God's sanctuary? How can you enter God's sanctuary? What does that look like in in good times or in bad times? We need to go into God's presence to have our, our world turned upside down in the best way and so it's great to be here in church in a sanctuary worshiping but that's not the only, and god works in these moments but please don't let this be the only time you enter his presence i mean for me it's sometimes it's during hikes sometimes it's driving around with my wife. Sometimes it as I'm, I'm reading the Bible on my own or listening to worship music on my own. Sometimes I have to set aside time in a prayer room to pause and pray for an hour because the first 48 minutes are just distracted mind movement and I get 12 minutes of prayer out of it, right? Like it's, there are different things that happen here. Sometimes it's just uh, I have a pause app on my phone that reminds me twice a day to pause and give everyone and everything to God, Right? So there are lots of ways that we need to remind ourselves to enter God's sanctuary. But but what is it that you need to do to enter into God's sanctuary? When you do, what do you need to bring to God? What are the challenges that you're facing? The things that you are pushing aside or ignoring or even avoiding that you don't want to talk to God about. Either because you're not sure you can trust him in that moment. Or because it's a moment of comfort and you're not sure you want him to mess with anything. What are the things that you need to bring to God? And then what do you need to do, what do you need to remember? We all need a bigger, better picture of who God is and who he created us to be and how he wants us to interact with the world around us. So how do you need a bigger picture of God? He's bigger than you think he is. And a better picture of God because God is more good than you can imagine he is better than you can imagine and he's created us and placed us in the, in the time and the space that he has us and will use us in that space so what do you need to remember about who God is and who he created you to be and as you do that you, we have to all wrestle with this question of will we rejoice will we rejoice I'm going to put the, the, verse, the end verses up here, just 18 and 19 again. And I just want to end by, saying, by sharing my hope with you. My hope is that I will be a person who says, yet I will rejoice. Uh, but it's bigger than that. My hope is that when other th- people think about you, uh, they'll say, wow, that's a person who really trusts God no matter what. No matter what. I've seen them do it when they're struggling. I've seen them do it when things are going well. That's a person who really trusts God no matter what. And that when this community looks at this church, that they'll think, wow, they really have joy, even when everything seems like a huge mess. This is a church that has joy and hope when things seem hopeless and, and when the world around them doesn't seem to, to require this joy. It seems to require anger and frustration and bitterness. But will this be a church that radiates joy and hope to their community. And then for New England, my hope is that that New England will look at the church, the larger church, and see that we serve a God who is powerful. And that we serve a God who is faithful and who can be trusted and who brings hope and peace and joy in the midst of their lives. Whether they're at a spot where they're recognizing that that all the things they've relied on are, are failing them. Or they're in a spot where it seems like success is right around the corner. Will New England see that there's more? Because of what God is doing in us and through us. Making us a people who say, yet I will rejoice. And so God, I pray that today this would not be just something we talk about. But God, would you, would you make us the type of people who rejoice in who you are and who you've created us to be not in the the circumstances of the moment and would you use us to demonstrate your love and your power and your redemption and your hope to the world around us in jesus name i pray amen